Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Well, we're back and so are Manchester City and not before time too. So how are you feeling? Rested and ready to go for another 10 months of stress and fingernail biting as City looks to battle on four fronts again? Well, that said, it's only just August and we're kicking off with a match against Liverpool at Wembley. So perhaps you might have wanted another couple of weeks off. On the first Blue Moon podcast of our 11th season, we'll be looking ahead to Sunday's Community Shield and previewing City's first crucial game in their hunt for the quintuple. We might even cast an eye a little bit further ahead to discuss our expectations for the season as well. We'll also be looking back through pre-season and looking at the headlines of the Tour of Asia, plus Howard Hawking is back with his take on the return of the champions as well. I'm your host, David Mooney, and with me in the studio for our curtain raiser is the man behind the numbers at Stat City, Adam Carter. Hello. And we've got from the Manchester Evening News, Simon Bykowski. Hello. How are you doing, chaps? Are you good to be back? Very well, yeah. Always happy to be on here. Feels like it's flown by this pre-season. It's because they only played 20 minutes ago. They, like, the season <laughs> ended what feels like half an hour ago, yeah. and then suddenly we're all back in here doing it again. Yeah. Um, I mean, Simon, let's start with pre-season. <laughs> Must it, we? Well, I mean, we'll, we'll have to give it some <laughs> yeah, yeah. some coverage. Um, it was a pretty bad start with the plane nonsense. It was a pretty bad start. It got slightly better and then got worse. That was that was the <laughs> upshot of it. Um, so the, the, they upset... There was a big fuss over them upsetting Chinese state media. Um, they were delayed getting out there. And then the things were not fun. Basically, they, they had to travel to Nanjing the day after arriving in Shanghai for a game. And, and they were not in a good mood. And uh, they were not in a good mood with anyone. And that made us not in a good mood. Um, were tensions fraught, Simon? Tensions were fraught, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Come on, spill the beans. Shirts were clinging to us. And... Uh, <laughs> I've I've never been as as sweaty as I have on that day in Nanjing, um, but yeah, then they got a bit better. They, you know, there was that piece on them in the Chinese state media, which was a bit of a nonsense, really. It was one disgruntled blogger, essentially, who didn't get cut in on five minutes with Alex Zinchenko, um, and asked for a pep sit down and got told no. And I didn't realise it was that If we could have had a pep sit down, I'd have been asking ages. <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, turned up expecting to get one and didn't. So, you know, that Pep made his point about jet lag and the conditions weren't great. But actually, they kind of warmed up through that first week in China. Um, and then Hong Kong and Japan were seemingly increasingly pointless. Like, ne- neither of the games were broadcast on television in the, the respective countries. The Hong Kong game, <laughs> the night they arrived in Hong Kong, the protests escalated and Pep's asked pre and post-match about these protests. The stadium was half full in Hong Kong and the fans are singing Les Mis for half the game. <laughs> um, and, and then, you know, just as everyone else is flying home, City are then going further 
to Japan for this extra leg that you just think we're at the end of the world and we've no idea why. And am, I, am I in a dream? Have, <laughs> I, I, have, have, I, have I woken up here? Is this <laughs> typical city by any chance? Um, Adam, I mean, one thing I want to on a kind of this is a hell of a question to throw you in on for the first show of the season, by the way. But I mean, do you feel a little bit? Possibly disgruntled with you saw the stories come out of of City and uh, and the Chinese media and the Chinese fans, and then it felt very much like there was a charm offensive from City in the, in the very next game. Yeah, and you kind of wonder, well, you know, could could a bit more of that be done over here? <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I think the home base fans, especially with what's going on with Berry and uh, Bolton at the minute, a few pre seasons locally could make the world a difference. It's a money making game now; it's commercial. They need to go and win that corner of the world over. Um, but I'd like to see a bit more home, uh, a home win kind of thing. Like I say, with the local northwest clubs, uh, early nineties we used to go to Ireland uh, pre-season tours and stuff, and that's you know that those days are gone, obviously. But we are typical Mancunian Blues. We always hark on for those glory. <laughs> we call them the glory days. The glory yeah, days yeah. of playing Port Vale. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, Rodri seems to have settled in pretty well. He's he's the major signing of the summer, Adam. Um, I mean, he's he's kind of expected to take Fernandinho's role. Fernandinho expected to drop back into defence. It's going to take a bit of time, but how are you feeling about that? Yeah, I think um, Fernandinho was the one we've always all been worried about how we're going mm. to replace him. Obviously, we thought it with Yaya, and that kind of we've kind of evolved again. But I think the Fernandinho role is needed in any team, regardless of what style of play uh, you, you do actually play. And I think Pep seems smitten with Rodri. The comments he's saying uh, in the press is obviously our record signing. Um, and I've, we've heard rumours that um, Fernandino is going to drop back, so we might see more of Rodri from the, from the get-go, rather than, like you say, will he be allowed that time to bed in if Fernandino is going to drop, especially if Laporte's injured now? Is, is that <laughs> well, is quite. this new centre-back pairing going to be immediate and Rodri's going to have to have to hit the ground running really Simon it, it felt to me I mean I, I wasn't there I didn't see a lot of the pre-season games but I've seen the highlights and I've you know I've, I've watched some of it because they weren't on TV because they weren't on TV yeah um, but it, it felt to me like Kevin De Bruyne has got a point to prove after his injury last season he, I mean it was just silly to watch him he was just in that sort of form where you're just like this is ludicrous to watch this is simply a, a master at work and he he's had two holidays this summer and he's just switched off from football and he said, I needed that time to switch. Because last season was hard. I mean, I remember him saying like he felt like his season had been twice as long as anyone else because he'd spent so much time getting back and all this. And um, I think it was after one of the games I said, I asked Pep, is it like having a new player back? And he said, well, no, it's like having the Kevin back from Two 2017. Ago, yeah. yeah, when he then went on to such things. So, I mean, there's, there's that ball that's done the... Uh, the rounds on Twitter where he just hammers it to Sane, but it's just so exciting from a a City perspective to see him looking so good. Well, while we're on Leroy Sane, let's just say at this point, I am loath to give this a lot of airtime because traditionally what happens on this show is we talk about this subject for 10 minutes. We come out of the studio, I I go home and edit it all, it goes online the following morning, and then news happens. 30, 40 minutes after I've put it online and it's immediately out of date. The latest with, with Leroy Sane is that we believe... I mean, there's there's a couple of outlets in Germany. One's reporting £100 million, one's reporting €200 million, Euros, which is significantly higher than £100 million. But it feels like he might not be a City player come the start of the season. No, no. Um, certainly, people in Germany and Munich are very, very excited and... 
are saying that something has happened in the last two days and you know people have told me today they think it could be done as soon like this week um you won't hear that from city city have said they've not had a bid they've not had any report they expect sane to be part of their squad for the community shield on sunday but they're always going to be expecting that until they're not um is kind of how it would go it's going to take a lot of money from buying if they want to get him but it's it's not really in city's hands in the sense that sane you know if sane wants to leave they're not going to they would rather get the money from this summer than keep him and lose you know lose a bit of money next year when he's only got one year on his contract um so i'm not i'm not saying he, he will go he will definitely go or or anything like that but something seems to have changed over the last few days it feels a weird one this adam because i was going through in my head on the on the way here i can't i can only think of one player that city have let go and have got they've got, in the mansour era and they've gone on to do better things and that was jerome Boateng. yeah um, so it's not normal that city no, let I, players i was go. thinking the same thing i think We've not been involved in one of these sagas since Carlos Tevez used to hand a transfer request in every week. <laughs> since we've kind of had a shift in our status in, at the football table, and I feel that the players, the only players that have left us are players that we've been willing to, uh, to let leave. I think this is new for us uh, in this the new setup in the Mansour uh, club era that a player may seemingly want to join another club, and it, it, all the. Uh, Body language experts on Twitter are analysing every single uh, Leroy Sane move <laughs> over pre-season. Um, and some people are saying, if he's staying, just come out and make a statement. But that doesn't work. If he's in current negotiations with City or Bayern, he can't come out in the middle of them and say, don't worry, I'm happy or whatever. I'll be truly gutted if uh, Leroy goes. And I think he would make a success of it. You go you go back to Jerome Boateng uh, going on to bigger and better things at that time. I think Leroy will achieve global stardom whether it's with us or Bayern I think he's that good and I'll be gutted if he does go now Simon one thing I wanted to ask you about pre-season um, a nine for Claudio Bravo I mean there was, <laughs> I, I don't like what yeah was, I mean, it, was the heat that bad if I'd um, I wasn't on ratings for every game but there were, the, the Hong Kong game especially was sort of laughably bad and uh, I think there was one someone tried to chip him and he managed to fall into the back of the net even though it went over and then <laughs> he, he sort of raced halfway towards the corner flag to try and stop a corner and ended up sort of booting it back into the play in his own box. Well, he's <laughs> like, oh, are you thinking, what is this? But the Yokohama game was the first time really that the City defence weren't brilliant. But Bravo, to his credit, was very, very good. And they would not have won the Euro Japan Cup without him. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't you can't buy that sort of uh, that that sort of commitment, can you, um, Adam? Do you, I mean, I, I, again, I'm guessing that you've seen about the, as much of preseason as I have, as much as you can, basically. Yeah. Um, did any of the youngsters impress? Uh, the obvious name is Taylor Bellis. Obviously, he's come in. I think he's following the Phil Foden path. Young local lad, Stockport. Um, I think he looked accomplished when he when he came in and. He, um, already established and there's people clamouring for him to be involved straight away we get a bit giddy with youngsters I'm the worst for that in terms of if there's City fans and they're coming through the academy get them in now obviously it doesn't work like that again but he really stood out from for the youngsters and again I think Kevin De Bruyne took the limelight off any young youngsters with his performances but yeah certainly Taylor definitely and uh, finally one one final question on pre-season Simon I've got I've got to ask you this um, is it true you slept through an earthquake? <laughs> <laughs> um apparently so you know these 
these tours were, you know, working every hour of the day. You see, so, I saw Simon Mullock um, tweet that like, it was something like six point eight on the on the scale, and and you just completely oblivious. It wasn't to it. actually on the mainland. I don't think. I think it was off Japan. Um, so, I mean, Simon Mullock clearly felt the full force, but uh, <laughs> I was dead to the world. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, thinking of my next piece. I think that <laughs> took my attention. <laughs> Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC. Now then, this season the laws of the game are changing and to help us talk through what this will mean for City, I'm delighted to welcome to the programme former Premier League referee Mark Halsey. Mark, um, I mean, first off, uh, what are the key changes to uh, to the laws for the for this season? We've got the, the change in, in, the, in the handball law. They've sort of defined it a bit, um, well, it's a bit, I think it'd be a bit confusing to a lot of people. But we've got, you know, law, law three, you've got a substitute, a player being substituted must leave the field at the nearest point. Line unless away the referee allows the player to leave quickly, immediately, or at the halfway line. So, referees will now show yellow, yellow card and red card to team uh, guilty uh, officials guilty of any misconduct. Um, that's called laws of the game. You know, law eight, the start and restart of play, a, a drop ball. What will happen is that it will be no longer between two players or dropped a ball for a player to kick it back. It will be dropped. The ball will be dropped to the to the the team that was in possession of the ball free kicks and and goal kicks free kicks within the our own a penalty area and goal kicks as soon as the ball is played it will it will then become in play so that 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 means that as soon as the goalkeeper's kicked the ball and it leaves it shows it, it its circumference it moves then the ball's in play so anybody can then go into the penalty area and then um make an attempt to get the ball um whereas before the ball wasn't in play until it left the penalty area Goalkeeper would take a quick free kick and new, uh, sorry, a quick goal kick to the defender, and then obviously a, a forward breathing down his neck, he'd step into the penalty area, so then it had to be retaken. Well, now that won't happen. I, th- I think that one's quite an interesting one, Adam, because it feels to me like that one will benefit City. Yeah, um, I think Pep likes to invite the the opposition players on, and we almost play towards our own goal line sometimes. So I think we'll just benefit from this greatly now. Uh, I think we'll see a different. I think you, you can see play, uh, teams uh, abusing this, but I think we'll actually use it to our advantage massively. I don't know if you saw the the incident where there, there was... I, I can't remember who was playing, but it was the goalkeeper. It was a dead ball kick, and the goalkeeper flicked it up to the defender who headed it back to the goalkeeper who caught it and then ran to the edge of his box to, to hoof it down the, down the pitch. And, I mean, that's allowed. There's nothing wrong with that. It feels like there's certainly some scope for that one to go wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems like... Every time they try and bring in more clarity, there's sort of more loopholes opened up <laughs> and more confusion that comes. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to to see. But the the handball is is the big one, I think, with the just the discrepancy handling the ball. That's where we're gonna. Um, I think we're gonna see. I mean, it was it was pleasing to see that um, that Mike Riley has come out and said we won't even be interpreting the hand the handling the ball like they done in the uh, in the women's world cup or like we've been doing in the champions league which is for me is, is great yeah the situations is many situations where there still will be deliberate as deliberate acts but you know the hand or arm is above the, the shoulder 
Um, playing the ball as a player, take, you, you know, you're taking a risk by having their hand or arm in an unnatural position. Now, that that's, I mean, that's where we're going to have sort of um, a lot of. That, that's the grey area, isn't it? Because that's a grey area. Because if you've got if you've got a player, I mean, when you when you're running, your arms are moving. When you're going to when you go and make a tackle or a sliding tackle or a blocking tackle, where are your arms? They're going to be outstretched to keep that balance. So that's going to be interesting to see how they interpret that. So, you know, and, and players, you know, body has been made unnaturally bigger, and that's unfairly create a larger barrier with their arm and hand being away from their their body. So it's going to be um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to handle this law, you know, with handling the ball. So, it's, it's, I mean, obviously, with VAR coming in, in this season into the Premier League, that's another big thing that we need, you know, that's going to be looked at. And, and once again, it's been pleasing to see that, you know, they're not going to stop the play unnecessary. So, you know, for me, you know, we saw many, many instances in, in the Women's World Cup where VAR become overused. As a IFB protocol, you know, laid down for everybody, you know, the world over. So, and I and I still think fundamentally in the Premier League, you know, the on-field referee has to make that final decision. So we're yet to see how that's going to operate. You know, I understand that they're not going to be looking at the monitor all the time, but I feel that when there's a subjective decision, it's got to be the on-field referee that makes that decision. And I think we're going to see some instances where the VAR is going to make that decision for them. And, and bear in mind, we've got, you know, championship referees that will be operating at VAR. There does seem to be a bit, a bit of a discrepancy between the Premier League and the Champions League. So some of the decisions yeah. being made in the Champions League, it's almost like defenders have to rethink how they defend with their arms out and and it, things like that. But I mean... Well, it, it, you know, it, it's, if you look, I mean, it's going to be very difficult for the likes of Michael Oliver, you know, who's, who for me is... Uh, by far our best referee. You know, he referees in in the Premier League on on a, on a Saturday at one of the big big games, and then you know one way with in, interpretation of handball, and then he goes into the Champions League in in midweek and it'll be interpreted another way. So it's going to be it's very it's going to be very difficult for our referees at the at the top level when they you know between the two different competitions. So it'd be interesting how that pans out next season as well. If you look at um, I think the Danny Rose one, you know Tottenham Man City in the first leg, you know when Danny Rose ha- handled the ball, trying to block tackle. Now I've been informed you know that the PGML do not think that's a penalty, so we won't be seeing that given as a penalty next season, or we shouldn't be. So, as I say, you know, they've got their meeting at St George's Park on, on Monday and Tuesday by going, you know, I think it's, you know, it's going to be VAR training. So, it'd be interesting to see how, you know, they interpret it, the handball of the VAR. Adam, Mark mentioned the the, the incident about time-wasting for, for substitutions. Normally, managers used to just send players to the far side of the pitch so yeah. that they could trudge off. Now they're just sending to the centre circle. Yeah, David Silver was the uh, <laughs> expert at that. Me and Tommy sits next to me at the at the ground. Every time David's number comes up, we say, "Watch him! He'll watch this touchline." He did against Chelsea when we won one nil. And uh, like you say, it's just just move them to a further part of the pitch and let them, you know, just the the furthest part away from all the boundaries, which you say is the centre circle, and just do it that way. Mark, thank you very much for uh, for joining us on the show. Um, it's a, It's been a pleasure. We'll, uh, we'll no doubt catch up with you at some point later in the season as well. All the best. Right, so we're moving on, and the new season is here already, and after an unprecedented domestic treble last time around, Manchester City fans are eagerly anticipating more on-the-field success in the coming months. But how on earth can Pep Guardiola improve on his last two campaigns? I've been taking a look at what the expectations are for City this term.
after a treble of the Premier League, League Cup and FA Cup, there's not really much room for manoeuvre for Manchester City. I wouldn't necessarily describe my hopes as being lower than what City achieved last season, but I do think it has to... Um, you have to be realistic about what you expect. So my biggest hope for City is always that they'll win the league. And obviously, these days, there's an expectation of the style of play with that. And so I suppose my, my expectations are for a constant improvement in the way that City play. That's City fan and blogger Richard Burns. He thinks the team can still get better under Guardiola, even as successful as they've been in recent seasons. They can still play better football, they can still be more clinical, they will find more tactical innovations this season, um, I'm, I'm sure of that. Actually getting to the point of winning the domestic treble last season was very stressful for City fans. Every game from February onwards became must win, and the only one that wasn't, that Champions League away tie at Spurs, was the only one that they didn't win. Journalist at One Football, Dan Burke, thinks City's performances mean that, weirdly, the pressure is off this season. Next season's a weird one, really, because 98 points on a trouble-winning campaign is always going to be really difficult to top, whoever you are. Um, I think the only way City could top that is by winning the quadruple, which, of course, has never been done in professional men's football before and is therefore highly unlikely. Um, but in many ways, I can't ever recall being this relaxed going into a new season before. Um, whether City win one trophy or four, I think this team's got nothing left to prove and whatever happens, it's guaranteed to be an enjoyable ride, so I'm looking forward to it. In terms of consistency, City have been fantastic recently. Averaging 99 points over two seasons is a phenomenal achievement and one that Dan Burke thinks sets them in good stead for the coming campaign. This may come back to haunt me, but I'm almost certain that City are going to rack up at least another 95 points again next season. Um, I really can't see Liverpool having another season like they had last year. I'd be surprised if Tottenham got close to City, so I'd be really surprised if City didn't win the league again, to be honest with you. Um, aside from that, I don't think you can ever really expect to win the cup competitions because anything can happen there, especially in the Champions League, as we found out over the years. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't put a, another double or a treble past the City team again next season. How do the fans mark next season as a success or a failure, though? If you're asking for improvement on winning four out of a possible five trophies, then you're asking for perfection. And there's a reason that's never been done before. I think City will always be judged on trophies won nowadays, and rightly so, really, with the money they've spent, the players they've got and the manager they've got. Um, if they end up winning nothing this season, it won't be a catastrophe, but it will be a failure, I think. And um, I'm afraid to say that if Pep Guardiola leaves this club having not won the Champions League, I think that's going to be viewed as a failure as well, both externally and, I think, internally as well. Richard Burns disagrees, though. I think City have, sort of, through their own quality, they've set a new bar for how they should be judged. It will be a judgment on, is their style of play evolving? Um, and with that, I've no doubt that Europe will be used as a barometer again. The question of the Champions League is one that keeps coming up in these sorts of preview features. It's the one trophy that has eluded City in the Sheikh Mansour era, and it's the one that Guardiola has been chasing ever since he left Barcelona. You can already hear the conversations now if they were to not win the Champions League, but win the Premier League again, you can already hear the... Well, Pep Guardiola was brought in to win the Champions League, it's what people say, even though it's not really true. Yeah, it won't be judged solely on trophies, though. It will be judged about how are they progressing the squad. When we've been speaking to other podcasts and fan sites over the summer, it's all we've been asked about for the new season. Are City going to do it in the Champions League this time? Richard Burns admits that it has been a big blind spot for City recently, which seems odd given that this is one of the best teams the English league has ever seen. We do have clear problems with playing away in big knockout games. Spurs last year we didn't get quite right. 
Uh, Liverpool the year before we got disastrously wrong. Monaco the year before that we got disastrously wrong. Uh, so there is something for Pep to work on there. But while the club and people on the outside seem to focus on Europe, it still seems to fall to the back burner for many fans. Here's Dan Burke. Personally, I'd be more than satisfied if we only won the league again next season. I think that's still the most important competition in English football and the best gauge of a team's abilities. Um, I would like to win the Champions League mainly just to shut a few people up, but I'm honestly not that bothered about it. And I could take a leave of the two domestic cups if push came to shove as well. For Richard Burns, success domestically is far more important too. I really want us to win the Premier League again. Continuing to play the sort of football that we have played the last couple of years, obviously the general style isn't going to change unless Guardiola's had a severe bang to the head over the summer. I guess some of that will be judged on how close our challenges are. So if we have another team like Liverpool that pushed to above 95 points, and we still win the league. If there's any doubt left, I think we'll definitely prove ourselves as the best English domestic team of all time. Could that be where the 2019-20 season takes City? Whatever happens, you can more or less guarantee that if City don't manage to win everything, then they'll have disappointed someone. And they'll probably disappoint someone if they do win the lot as well. But whatever happens, it should be a pretty exciting 10 months for the fans. That don't impress me much. Hi there, this is Joe Royal speaking. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast and carry on doing so. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. So then a look there at the expectations for the new season. I mean, just, just on that, Adam, um, it's pretty hard to expect City to do better than they did last season. Yeah, I think the obvious answer is the Champions League and progressing in that. Um, I saw a few questions asked recently of, are we ready to sit at that top table now? And I think the answer is, the the answer to that is Kevin De Bruyne's form into coming into preseason into that uh, into this season. I think he's going to be the key. So is the answer nearly? Nearly. I think <laughs> I think it depends on whether he can drag us over that line. Now I think we're nearly there, and I think he'll be the difference this season. Simon, I mean, again, fans going into this season, none of them will be saying, "Well, it's four trophies and and, an improvement." Otherwise, they've 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 gone backwards on last season. So, is it more about the style of play? Is it you want to see more entertaining and and, you know exuberant performances? Which I mean, they're already full throttle with that as well. Yeah, I think so. It's just kind of it was a bit like when Pep was at Bayern and they'd win the league so easily, and then they just kind of have to reinvent themselves a little bit and you know maybe push the defensive line a bit further forward or. You know, have Raheem Sterling doing something else. It, it's as long as they're in the hunt for trophies, and they win something. I mean, I think the from a from a media perspective, no one's going to shut up about it until they win the Champions League because it's the the one that they have left. But at the same time, I think there's a real sort of drive. I think the main drive within the squad is to win the Premier League again. Well, it's interesting because only one team's ever won it the Premier League three times in a row. It's United. And they've done it twice. So it'd be nice for City to, to join them in that club. Yeah, and you know, Guardiola is spoken of in the same circles as Sir Alex Ferguson. And I think he would absolutely love to be able to say, I've done what only Sir Alex has done. I think the players would really like to say, you know, no, I think 2008, 2009 was it, it was done. You know, the, these players have done what no one has done in 10 years and they they just want more and more and the, the Premier League is harder to win. Well, the best team in England 
wins the Premier League, but the best team in Europe doesn't necessarily win the Champions League. So, um, Adam, honestly, hand on heart, domestic success or European success? So I got panned for this last season. <laughs> I'm always domestic over, but I think um, the club needs Champions League. Whether the fans buy into it or not, I think the club. We talked about the trying to re- the global reach. They're trying to trying to maintain. And okay, so yeah. let me rephrase that then. Yeah. <laughs> what you want or what the yeah. club wants for next season? Let the club. The club have given me everything I could possibly do now, <laughs> so let them get that global superstardom now that they they crave. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards found them. Software engineers found that project manager I could never seem to hire and found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Now, sit here back at Wembley this weekend for the curtain raise of the Community Shield against Liverpool. These two teams went toe-to-toe for all of last season, so it seems quite fitting that they're the two that will open the new campaign. I'm delighted to say that we're also joined by Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Wrap. Neil, welcome to the programme. Um, how's pre-season been for Liverpool to kick us off? Mixed, to be quite honest with you. Uh, firstly, close season uh, hasn't elicited any real sort of additions, uh, which some Liverpool supporters wanted. I'd quite like to see them add one more player for the front three who's almost in the class of the, the, the first choice front three ideally if not actually in their class and then the pre-season itself you know they obviously beat Tramier and Bradford what you'd expect them to and then they went to the States and they weren't great to be honest with you in a couple of those games I mean the game against Sevilla was weird Sevilla decided to kick lumps out of us and that wasn't particularly pleasant but they weren't great against Dortmund and they weren't great against Bolton Lisbon um, and so people were a little bit worried about it but they played well against Leon on uh, on Wednesday night and you know it's, it's difficult to tell because as you know players coming back at different times with different levels of fitness it makes it complicated and it's actually quite hard to see who's in what shape who's in what nick and it actually makes it harder for you to play the football you normally expect to play well adam i was going to say it's it sounds like music to the to the ears for city fans but liverpool have the single worst team for city to ever face aren't they so i mean <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm never confident when we play liverpool they seem to have our number apart from last season in, in spells but um i saw jürgen uh, bemoan the lack of six key players in this preseason, and then I counted we had seven out. So it's going to be a weird game. On <laughs> it's going to be a weird game on Sunday, that's for sure. Uh, Simon, I mean, what what will we learn from this game from a City point of view? Do you think? Not very much. There we go then. <laughs> um, no, it's a funny game because remember City played Liverpool last summer on tour, and City had a load of players away, and they weren't that bothered about it, but. Liverpool were and you felt it was more important for Liverpool to get that belief and keep that belief and then you saw what an incredible job they did last season but now that they've got that belief and they don't need it anymore so it'll be interesting to see sort of how the two teams go about it. Well I mean Neil do you reckon this will be full throttle like the like the meetings were I was gonna say the meetings last season but the one at Anfield wasn't particularly full throttle in, in spells the one at the Etihad definitely was though. The one the Etihad was, the one at Anfield was really strange. It's one of the oddest games last season. Liverpool were almost playing with 10. They had an injured man on the pitch for much of it. Um, and But I think both sides decided it was a much much more important game not to lose than to go and win. Um, do I think it'll go full throttle? I think that depends. I think there's something that's quite psychologically difficult for the managers here, which is normally when you play pre-season, 
what you want to do is you want to impose your style of play. But when Liverpool play City and when City play Liverpool, they actually change their style of play for one another a little bit. And Klopp made a remark saying in pre-season to play Manchester City, you need the pre-season friendly against Manchester City to get used to playing Manchester City. <laughs> and I think you've seen in the past that Klopp, that Guardiola does change for Liverpool in a way in which he doesn't change for anyone else. He changes for Klopp in a way he doesn't change for anyone else. So I think that's the thing. So what do the managers do? Do they say, well, we'll just play our way and see what happens? But no one really wants to go out there and expose the team. But I think the other thing as well is the fitness question. You know, you, Salah does 45 minutes against Leon, and he looked great. But he's not got more than an hour in him. So if you want to say how can these sides sort of set up and how can they get used to and how can they plan for what's going to come next, I think it's really, really hard. And to say what sort of game are we going to get, I don't think we can get full throttle. I don't think full throttle is possible at this stage of proceedings. I think that I expect to see City have a bit more of the ball, maybe even a bit more of the ball than they normally have against Liverpool. But I think that on the whole, I, I, I can just see it being a strange little affair where there might even be different phases of play where, because you can have six subs and I'm expecting Klopp to use all six subs and I'm expecting Guardiola to use all six subs too. Where did Liverpool fans rate this as a, a as kind of important for the season? I know, I know it's a, a kind of wanky question. Where do you take the what, what do you think of the Community <laughs> Shield? But I mean, it's just putting it into context. This is City's uh, fifth Community Shield in eight years, and I think that I, I feel like a lot of the fans are quite tired of it. It's it's one of those games that's an expense at Wembley, and it's it's one that I know a lot of fans aren't aren't bothering with this time around. I think that we'll obviously sell out our allocation and we'll it'll be full from a Liverpool point of view. That's always the case. It's the case for every Liverpool game. It's partially because it's got to be uh, in that you need to keep loyalty up and all that sort of stuff. But I think it's also that it's 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 one where I think that Liverpool supporters... Uh, listen, if, we had, if we'd have got beat by Tottenham, I reckon about eight of us would have come. <laughs> but we didn't get beat by Tottenham. We beat Tottenham and now we can go there. And it's almost a bit of a shame in the way we've got to play the Super Cup in Istanbul in a couple of weeks. And... You know, I'd almost rather be playing City in that than, than than Chelsea, to be quite honest with you, because that would feel like a Super Cup, I would argue. Well, you can certainly make an argument that Liverpool and Manchester City are the best two teams in Europe right now. Chelsea aren't in that conversation, really, at this stage. Maybe they can prove that this season. But if falling this early, the 4th of August, doesn't half feel like, you know, we are dealing with very imperfect teams at this point. So it's a shame we can't really see them genuinely knock lumps out of each other. Do Liverpool supporters want to win it? Of course. And when it kicks off, we'll all want to win it. That's the way in which it works. But on the whole, if you're saying where it is, you know, I'd say it's a trophy that you'd rate beneath the Super Cup, beneath the World Club Cup. I think <laughs> the most important thing is that, you know, we've got um we've got we had Napoli last weekend, and if we'd have played the way we played against Napoli, against a seven out of ten Manchester City, they'd have beat us four nil, five nil, six nil. We played a lot better against Leon. And so I think that, you know, what, what I think neither manager will want is they won't want, no one wants to lose a game against your biggest rivals, three, four, five, nil. I don't think that'll happen in either direction. But there was a point last weekend watching Liverpool against Napoli where I was thinking, good God, they're doing all this and they've got Manchester City to come next. They're going to be absolutely in real trouble if they don't sort themselves out. I think they will sort themselves out. And I think it'll be a tight game. But as I say, I don't think it's what anyone's going to be killing themselves to win. Liverpool are we talked we touched on it before. Liverpool are a big bogey side for City. So what? I mean, it always feels like Guardiola is going to overthink this anyway. So what should he do? It's going to be interesting because City played two Premier League teams on the tour of the Far East and looked very very good and looked like the City that we've seen batter away in the Premier League. And then they played two. They played one team from Hong Kong and one team from Japan and. Guardiola was asked about the Japan game and he, he said, oh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And you thought, well, that that's not 
really what Guardiola <laughs> wants. And then they played and they they weren't very good. It was fun to watch, but because they were making mistakes and and things like that. So, you know, it may be that when they turn up to play Liverpool, they've got a um, a plan in place for a Premier League team and for Liverpool specifically, and they look really good. Um, but it they've not had the best preparation for playing Liverpool, I wouldn't say. Now, Neil, one last question before we get into some predictions. Um, Liverpool fans, from what I've seen around, seem to feel a bit worried about the about this season coming up on the basis that there's been very few incomings. I mean, my question is kind of why you got ninety seven points last season. I think why is because there's some we're not used to this, uh, and I mean that with the you know the greatest respect towards the Liverpool supporters. To be quite honest with you, but it's an alien moment. This one in the past when we've come second in a Premier League chase, which has happened on a few occasions. We've then found ourselves in a position where our best players have gone and we've had a few incomings and then had to go from there. Well, that isn't what's happened here at all. We are in a situation where our best players have all stayed and our best players are all going to stay. And I think that there's there's a little bit of a perception that maybe, just maybe, we rose a tiny little bit of a wave last year. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's looking that. I don't actually believe in that. I think that both the times last season in games, Manchester City and Liverpool got lucky and then it's what you do with that look that counts and both of them rode the look really, really well. But Liverpool, they didn't get to lift a big shiny thing that they wanted in the Premier League trophy. We did win the European Cup and that was absolutely incredible and it's a great achievement and it's what that football team deserved. They deserve to lift something after such a fabulous season. And I think there is just a little bit of a nervous thing that, you know, we maybe just maybe need to need to add one more. I'll give you a really good example. I've done something statistically based around Shakiri, where I compared him to Juan Mata, to Pedro and to Mares. Now, I think Mares is a better player than Shakiri, and I want to get that right out the front. So if you ask me, you know, to pick a team for to, 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 to build towards winning the league title, I'd pick Mares. But Mares scores seven goals in 15, in 15 lots of 90 minutes, and Shakiri gets six in 12. And I think that in terms of how those players have been used, and I think Mahrez will get more time for City this season, and I think he's a terrific footballer. But what I mean is, if you compare that to the way in which each was used, we were broadly speaking about as effective as each other, not just in crude terms, but also in, in more subtle analytical terms. But from a Liverpool point of view, we always feel like we're one player away. We're one player too far away. We need one more really, really good player, whatever that is on the pitch. And then when you compare to Manchester City, what you see is you see Riyad Mahrez. But what you don't do is look at left-back, where, for instance, Zinchenko, who I like a great deal, but he's a makeshift left-back. And what we always do is we always see where the grass is greener elsewhere. We, do, we all do it with our football teams. And I think that's what Liverpool supporters have been doing around this. It's, it is this idea that I don't believe, I think that Manchester City squad's the best squad in Europe. But I simultaneously don't actually think they've got 22 world-class players. They've had players at different phases of the development, different moments in their career. And they've been brilliantly managed, brilliantly coached. And the most impressive thing about City last season was the unbelievable togetherness they showed. Not just when they played Liverpool at the Etihad, but then through that running. And for me, you know, I, do, I still don't think Manchester City have had the credit they deserve for that togetherness. And I think part of that is the conversation around how much money these players cost and the nature of how they were amassed. Whereas what they actually showed and what, what, what can't be taken away from them or Manchester City supporters is how they were a gang of lads who got themselves together and did something really rather remarkable. And I think that's got sort of lost in the wash that you don't always have world-class players producing world-class performances. Some games, everyone just mucks in together. And from the outside, I think Liverpool supporters and, and supporters of all clubs, what we see is we see the match-of-the-day stuff. 
we see exactly how good Bernardo Silva is in terms of being a creative force, but we miss out the fact that his work rate is so phenomenal. And we miss out on all those little bits that make a football team special, I think, in a lot of ways. But we see it in our own side. But then we walk away and we say, oh, God, we might need to just add one more, one more bit of brilliance in order to be able to do what we need to do. And so I think all of that, I think it's difficult for Sarr, you know, until, until that league title is in the bag, from a Liverpool point of view, I think that will always be people saying, you need to add one more bit of quality, one more bit of brilliance. And I said at the start of this interview, I'd like to have seen them add one more front to the player. But you know what? I think there's every chance this Liverpool side breaks 90 points. There's every chance this Liverpool side breaks 90 points and gets to a Champions League semi-final at the very least. And if you're breaking 90 points and you get into a Champions League semi-final, then you could walk away with a league and Champions League double, or you could walk away with nothing if you're up against a side as good as the City side. <laughs> you're kind of uh, you're kind of doing all right though if you end up with uh, with 97 points, and it's 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 just I mean unfortunate for you guys that it happened in a season where City ended up with 98, and it's just you know it's it's unprecedented really, isn't it? Um, now then, the, the charity bets back this season, and we've raised almost three thousand three hundred pounds in the three years that we've been doing it with William Hill. So to try and add some more to the pot for the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester it's Liverpool at Wembley to begin with uh, Neil I'm going to give my bet to uh, to you so what score are you having? What score am I having? Uh, in 90 minutes I'm going to say 2-2 and then we'll, we'll, we'll sort penalties out between us but uh, <laughs> 90 minutes 2-2 uh, That's 12-1 to 1, so if you're right uh, we'll kick off the season with £120 for the Christie Simon what are you having? Uh, two one Manchester City. Two one, two one to City is eleven to one, so one hundred and ten pounds if you're right, Adam. I'm going for nil nil, but then with <laughs> Sterling to uh, bag the winning penalty. Well, I can't do the Sterling bit, but the nil nil bit I can do. Fifteen to two and seventy five pounds if you're right. Uh, you got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change, and for more on responsible gambling, visit begambleaware.org. Uh, Neil, are you going to uh, to Wembley at the weekend? I am indeed really looking forward to it, to be honest with you. Um, and I think it, I hope it's a really good occasion. I think it will be a good game. I think it's going to be hard for the managers to be tactical. I think they may just have to let these lads run at each other a bit. Excellent. Well, uh, enjoy the game as, uh, as as best you can. And I uh, I hope that uh, if it goes to penalties, then I hope that at least we get some good penalties instead of what we saw in, in pre-season with City, Simon. <laughs> yes. Yeah, good penalties for all. <laughs> now then, before we move on, um, Adam, you've got uh, you, you've been counting down on your uh, Instagram and, and Twitter page, which I f- at first thought was to the new season of the podcast. Uh, turns out not. <laughs> yeah, a few people were like, "You've got the you've got the dates wrong. You've still there's a few, still a week to go." But yeah, we're actually counting down from about a hundred days to our new relaunched website, statcity.co.uk. Now we're going to test how good it is. And um, I, I, see, I saw your face fall there, so, yeah. uh, so here we go. And now, it's time for the Stat City Quiz! So to test the new Stat City website and ask, app, I'm going to ask you both a question. Adam, as the person who designed the Stat City website and has a database and, and you know, you've been running the numbers all the time, you'll know where to look to ha- on how to find out the information. Plus, you're the City fan on the panel this week, so that means you have to answer off the top of your head. You can't wow. use you can't use your data. That's pressure. Simon, I've given you access to, to statcity.co.uk. You can search the site to find the answer, and you you know you can take as much time as you want. Adam, you'll get the point if you can answer the question before Simon finds the answer on your website. <laughs> Does that make good. sense? That is very good and cruel. Because what that means is if you want to win the, the quiz, then you have to trash your own website. <laughs> and if you want, if you don't want to, if, if you want to keep your website reputation high, yeah. you've got to lose the quiz, mate. Uh, so, uh, so are we ready? Question one, let's, uh, let's go with this one. Which were the five most used players under Roberto Mancini? Oh, well, um, Carlos Tevez? Uh, no, not on there. Wow. This, I'm falling here. Um, Colo Torre. Nope, not on the oh, list. Well. Yeah, yeah, Torre. No, not on the list. David Silva. 
is on the list. 141 okay. appearances. Here we go. David Silva. Was bizarre. Oh, got them all here. Oh. There we go. Okay, so uh, Simon, would you like to fill us in? So you got Silva, yep. did you? Two defenders. Um, Come on. Just left. Vincent Company. Vincent there, you company. there you go. Pablo Zabaleta. There yes. you go. Uh, a goalkeeper. Joe Hart. Obviously. And mm. a midfielder. Wow, this is pressure. You could have warned me about this, David. Um, <laughs> oh, midfielder under Mancini. Mm. Gareth Barry. Of course. 154 appearances. Most trusted. Now then, so 1-0 uh, to Simon. Well done, Simon. Um, question <laughs> two. Cool. Which five teams has Sergio Aguero scored double figures against in total? Okay. Um, Watford. Uh, is on the list. Uh, the same people, yeah, I yeah. got them all. Yeah. Oh, you got them all again. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. uh, unlucky Adam. <laughs> Newcastle, 15. 15 goals from 14. Chelsea, 13 goals from 17. Arsenal, 11 from 16. And Tottenham, 11 from 16 as well. So pretty much a stat padder, isn't he? Chelsea, Arsenal yeah. and Spurs in that <laughs> top five. All the best. Yeah. So, Adam, you can't win the quiz now because I've only got one more question, but you can try and salvage a bit of dignity. I'll try. Um, You've not got my money on this one, though, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, which five players have made the most appearances for City against United? <laughs> I've created a monster. Um, <laughs> Francis Lee. He's not on the list. Sergio Aguero. Isn't on the list oh either. Oh, my God. Oh, I've, I've got him again. Oh, there <sighs> we go. Go on, just reel, reel them off. Joe Corrigan, 26. Alan Oakes, 25. Mike Doyle and Vincent Company, 24. And Bert Troutman, 23. There we go. So uh, basically, Adam, you've got a good website there, but but you know you don't know anything. <laughs> so I don't know it as quick as the website knows it. <laughs> there we and go. That was the aim. Hear all of our city interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. So moving on, it's time for Howard Hawking for the first time this season. almost over. The escape, the tranquility, no stress unless you like cricket, no pyro, flags, seat counting, no bold frauds on the touchline, forced rivalries, vomit inducing match reports, no it means more, no net spend, just walks in the countryside, trips to Spain and obviously more human rights chat. Until now. Because it is back and once Liverpool fans start counting tickets so for glorified friendly, if they're not already, then we know the season is truly up and running. The summer football discourse, for those of us so, so fortunate to reside on Twitter, was dominated by the tedious toing and throwing about City's owners, between a select band of merry men journalists, kind of, and City fans, most of whom are long bored of it all. I won't be spending a single second discussing the merits of both sides' arguments, you'll be glad to know, but what struck me most was the tone of those writing about the club we support, because the tone throughout was one that was not really interested in the discussion on the matter. Never knowingly wrong is the phrase that springs to mind. Or just never wrong, period. The tone was one of patronising preaching, hanging on the coattails of the club for exposure, reducing a serious subject to a constant squabble. The preachers are not interested in alternative views, but to inform you of what they believe to be the truth. So a discussion with those that saw flaws, rightly or wrongly, in their arguments, was doomed from the beginning and always will be, especially when their hypocrisy is batted away and written off as whatabouty. Take to Spiegel where a lot of this began. 
written in the style of a naughty child who had had his PS4 taken off him because he didn't eat all his vegetables. City fans are no doubt not the target audience and the style is perfect for the German audience perhaps, ingrained with tales of dirty Arab oil money and ridiculous excesses, unlike in the Bundesliga where tickets are 5 euros max and that includes transport, unlimited curry verse and half-time massage, subject to availability. But I'm always willing to take on board criticism as well as praise about those that run our club, but within one minute of reading the leak-related articles I stopped for good due to the pathetic partisan snidey style that pervaded every paragraph. How can you expect your journalism to be taken seriously and respected when you cannot even write in an adult, impartial manner? But what of the UK press? Are City fans really their target audience either? If a journalist has spent four months arguing his points on social media without once taking on board or acknowledging a different point of view, even after his own contradictions were pointed out, then not only is it not worth debating another minute with such people, however valid their claims may be, but also... Is it worth asking the question of who the target audience is for their articles and their proclamations? Because the key thing for me is that if a journalist cannot write a match report that concentrates on the match, then he's not writing for that team's fan base, really. And stupidly, I always assumed that match reports were for fan bases of the teams involved. Silly me, eh? Remember the good old days when match reports reported on the match in form of key incidents? I'm getting all nostalgic thinking about it. The sports pages used to be about sport. The politics and other stuff was at the front. Now certain journalists think they are experts in geopolitics and want to tie in a David Silver finish at the far post with the war in Yemen and the extent of sports watching in the UK. Certain journalists think they have a duty to say important things, which is fair enough, but see themselves as social warriors putting the world to rights in between describing goals by Surgeon Gabriel Jesus. For me, the problem is in timing and context. But ask yourself this, if articles are written not for the fan base of the club to whom they refer, does this signal a sea change in reporting? And if it does, why was it Manchester City that caused it? Because I can guarantee this, it is not an age-old problem. This is a very new one, a modern phenomenon. You see, do you think that if Liverpool had won the cup final 6-0 a few months ago, would the subsequent independent match report have bemoaned the disparity between teams in the modern game? And where was this disparity when City sneaked past the same opponents twice in the league? Where was that disparity against a poorer side in the semi-final? And did City's financial disparity cause Watford to miss their one-on-one chance in the first half and play a suicidally high defensive line in the second half that played right into City's hands? No, these journalists are not interested in our point of view. They simply think that they have something important to say. They think they are educating us. They think we should be grateful for their pearls of wisdom. But as fans, we see everything ourselves nowadays, and I guess that's why they feel match reports have to dig a bit deeper, a bit further. But we're not really learning anything new. And the fact is, there's always been a disparity in the top league. There's never been a level playing field. Money talks, the powerful and successful teams who've got the best players. It's a bit rich to cry about it now, because no one was when United were done with it. And it's rich because City's consistent brilliance is not because they've hoovered up all the best players. It's clearly influenced greatly by one man, their manager. Because you don't get a huge disparity on the field with a makeshift left-back for two years, your best player mostly injured for a season, your greatest ever player out of form for months, and as us City fans are regularly told, a raft of bang-average English players playing most weeks. 
If there is a disparity, then Pep caused it, not money. Which is why Moneybags United finished 32 points behind City last season and why they keep changing managers and players trying to work out how to compete. But a point was reached last season that I stopped caring, when most of us stopped caring. We know what our club is, we know what we've spent, who our owner is, how the world works, where we fit into it all. We don't need to be lectured within an FA Cup final preview or talked down to by someone who thinks they know better because they learnt shorthand once and have googled a few articles. That last week of the season from securing the league to going for an unprecedented domestic treble is what being a football fan is all about. Yet I'm expected to read about bittersweet trophies, diminished trebles and the source of money. Sod off. It's deliberate language used by journalists who write as if they've never experienced the stripped down naked joy of being a football fan. The reason we spend so much of our money following people we don't know across land and sea. No, something changed last season and over the summer. The way I consume media has changed and will change. And the rise of the athletic, the money bags of the journalism world, means we're entering a different era anyway, or hopefully. And hopefully, if we've paid content, as content always used to be, we'll see a more mature, responsible coverage of the sport, because the best content should be worth paying for. So I'll give it a go, block every Liverpool fan site, and try and experience next season in a different way away from the juvenile point scoring that turned following the domestic treble winners into a chore at times. And hopefully I'll be all the better for it. Another exciting season awaits and it's about time I really started enjoying the ride. My name's Ricky the Hitman Hatton and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. How we're talking there for the first time this season. Now it's time to finish with Ask the Panel. This is the bit of the show where you send in your questions. Do it on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. And you can find us on Instagram as well. Just search for Blue Moon Podcast there. Um, Adam, I'm going to throw this first one to you. Kevin Jackson on the emails asks, how important really is the Community Shield? Um, you were saying earlier about the about it being more important for the loser. That, that to me blows my mind. Yeah, I just think um, you've got the famous torn crest image in, on the back of the paper when you lose a game and there's crisis in camp and the pre-season plans weren't uh, good enough. You've not signed enough players. Whereas if you win it, you've just had a good pre-season. That's the way I see it. So I think it's more this game weirdly is more important. The results more important to the loser than the winner. Have we got a new a new city badge at the MEN, Simon? Which is, you know, is bro- bro- broken broken city badge dot JPEG. Have we got uh, that? At the... I, I am I'm not qualified <laughs> enough to be able to do that, but I'm I'm sure it is there. Yeah. But yeah, I mean I sort of feel like I've been quite negative on this podcast about them, but it's just tour fever getting to me. I think, but uh, <laughs> but. <laughs> Yeah, basically neither of them appear to have had a, a good pre-season, so whichever one of them loses, it's going to be all oh, pressure on them for the start of the season. And, and really, you know, City have got West Ham on the opening day, so if you wanted any less, you couldn't get any less pressure than a game against the Manuel Pellegrini side. <laughs> uh, Sean Alexander on the emails asks, is it weird going into the season without Vincent Company, and how much will he be missed this season? Is his absence from the dressing room going to leave a hole? I think it's going to leave a bigger hole in the dressing room than on the pitch. I think we came to terms to having company for parts of the season over the last three or four years. Um, But when we get to that business end of the season, we've always wheeled him out, (laughs) to coin a phrase, and he's done the job at the business end. And how last season? Uh, Exactly, exactly, yeah. What happens when we get to March, April, and we need to dig in, and we need that leader around the dressing room? 
um, the, there's uh, stories in the press now about how we're going to choose our new captain. It's going to be the players that choose who wants it. Raheem, does he want it? Kevin De Bruyne, does he want it? And I think that loss is massive for that business end who's been there, done it, who knows how much it means to drag us over that line, and that's where we're going to miss it more. I always thought the captain was that in a Guardiola team was always just the longest serving player that was that was there. He always seemed to go for. for I think that. that I think they, that's how they do it in Spain. Um, Guardiola's never been fussed about the captaincy yeah. at all. He sort of let let the players decide. I well, I thought it was going to be silver for his last season. Yeah. Yeah, I um, heard that, and then recently Sterling's been kind of put into this. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to be Sterling. Um, I, I would give it to De Bruyne. Just, Correct, I'm, ve- I'm very biased. Well, my bias is coming through on this, but I think you need a captain who speaks for the club as, as well as you got to let him talk player. as well. I mean, you've <laughs> got to yeah, let, yeah, yeah, yeah. But David Silva is, you know, great at many things, but speaking is not one of them unless he's in Amphi, um, his, yeah. his resort. So, <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne. Has no problem speaking his mind. He's he's as honest and frank as company was, and I, I, think, I think De Bruyne is actually it's, it's quite alarmingly blunt sometimes. Really <laughs> good, know? yeah. So refreshing though, um, and you know, I I think that is important because I think they lose a lot of that statesman-like talk from company. As much as he's good on the pitch, he also represents them off it. And finally, Gaz Brady asks on Twitter, given the leeway given to new signings in a Pep system, some players like Angelino, for instance, does the criticism of Mendy still fall into this bracket with him only having played 17 games? I would say the criticism of Mendy is more that City can't rely on him in that they've had him for two years and he's only played 17 games. And if you're going to spend £50 million on a left-back, then you kind of want more out of him than that. And he's been very unfortunate with injuries, but at, at what point does City say, you know what, we can't we can't do this because we can't wait any longer. You know, as Premier League champions, you don't want to be going into a season with Alex Zinchenko and Angelino at, at left back. Um now Mendy, a fit Mendy would totally transform that position. And having Mendy and Zinchenko and maybe Angelino is is fine, but just having Zin- Mendy's out for the first four weeks probably. So just Zinchenko and Mendy uh, Zinchenko and Angelino is, is not as strong as you would like. Bit worried about Angelino, Adam? Yeah, he looks rusty in uh, pre-season. I thought it was a great bit of business from City first and foremost to put that clause in and get him back on our terms. Um, I think he's probably trying too hard. Um, he's come back to homecoming kind of thing. Um, it's a lot of pressure on him to fill uh, the left-back berth straight away, especially if it looks like he's going to have to with Mendy being out. I think the one thing we can say, though, is it, it was pre-season and Claudio Bravo got a nine. So, <laughs> you know, not a lot to be read from that. Well, it's it's going to be good to blow off the cobwebs and get back into the swing of things. It's now down to Pep Guardiola and to Manchester City to do that on the pitch as well. If you'd like to hear some more, we've got our bonus Patreon show for backers of $2 per month or more. And this week's is about the developing rivalry between City and Liverpool. Go and check it out, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Thanks to my two guests in the studio, Stat City Adam Carter. Cheers. And Simon Bykowski from the Evening News. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week to be previewing the opening day against West Ham. We'll see you then. Take care. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.